Matthew Brass and Carson Sestouli. This is Fangraph Studio. My guest on this edition of Fangraph Studio is a native of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, the contributor to the Point of Pittsburgh, for which online publication he covers not only Duquesne basketball, but also the Pittsburgh Pirates. He is finally Fangraph's resident for the month of May. It is Alex Stump. Alex J. Stump. Alex Stump is the guest in this program. What follows? We become acquainted with Alex Stump, dedicating much of the conversation to a long and baleful meditation on the starting members, uh, the, the lineup and the pitchers for the 2003 Pirates, a miserable team and also the first one that Alex Stump remembers with some clarity. We examined some of the possible reasons for and probable reasons not for Andrew McCutcheon's struggles this year and also last year, I suppose, but specifically this year. And finally, we make bets about respective career war figures, the wins above replacement figures for certain Pittsburgh middle infield prospects, including Kevin Kramer and another Kevin. Kevin Kramer and another Kevin. All on this edition of Fangraphs Audio. And, of course, I'm inclined uh, and perhaps obligated to remind you that Fangraphs memberships exist for a reasonable sum, readers and listeners of Fangraphs and Fangraphs Audio, respectively, uh, can acquire a Fangraphs membership to support that site. For a slightly less reasonable sum, readers and those same listeners can acquire a Fangraphs ad-free membership, which will allow you to browse Fangraphs.com without the baleful effects of banner ads, which will allow someone, uh, for example, to experience loading speeds, faster loading speeds, not just loading speeds, but faster ones, and also to uh, liberate oneself from from the distortive effects of advertising. All of that and so much more. Actually, not that much more, but definitely all of that. So let us get, let us say that, and let us also say Alex Stumpf is, uh, is, is the person with whom we'll talk and what follows. What is it? It is Fangraph Studio. Who does it feature? Fangraph's resident for the month of May, the nearly concluded month of May, Alex Stumpf. And when does it begin? Right now. A lot of French and Indian wars was fought here. Okay. Um, I'm making my fourth grade, and you know, all my history teachers disappointed that I don't know a better answer to that question. You've already so let's so um, <laughs> now. Do you make a habit of disappointing people because you've already disappointed yes. your father too? Yes, I make sure <laughs> to disappoint at least. Would three you like people to check anyone else? And you are going to be my third disappointment. I promise you that. <laughs> No, no, no. I've, I've, I began disappointed, so that's – I don't know if that counts. Uh, um, but, yeah, did, did, um, would you like to check anyone else off? Is there anyone else that you'd like to disappoint before we begin here? Well, or, if or I did my dad, I probably should disappoint my mother. Okay. Uh, a couple dead ancestors, you know. <laughs> Do you know that uh, – I believe it's Travis Sochik, um again, uh, from Pittsburgh – we were talking at some point about uh well I had noticed from his name he was probably of Eastern European origin and uh his, um and he verified this that when they came over from oh, it was the Czech Republic, somewhere around there. Um that one of them not only worked in uh in an area mine, but died in a mine. Which is to me there's something something like triumphantly um authentic about that for someone who's grown up in the well, I guess he grew up or his family grew up in sort of eastern Ohio. Uh, but that region generally, dying in a mine seems to be the most authentic early nineteenth or early 20th century death. Do you ever have any family who died in mines? 
No, my maternal grandfather uh, was a miner, did not die in one. So okay, well, that's good. No authenticity, I guess, besides that. No, no, I suppose it's authentic enough, yeah. Yeah. Um, just not tragic. Um, no. Although maybe living and continuing to work in a mine is equally tragic, I don't know. Um, okay, yeah, well, again, it's a region of the world uh, that interests me. Uh, now, you, so you grew up, you grew up in Pittsburgh. Now, um, you don't, you're not required to divulge your age, but I'm curious what era of, um, of, I guess what era of, of Pirates teams, uh, were the ones you first remember? And is that, I mean, is that the, the sort of, uh, your first exposure to baseball? Um, well, I don't mind giving away the age, but I guess I'll make people work for it. Uh, mm-hmm. I was I was alive for uh, the '92 team. Okay, have, that, now that is that sort of the tail end. Ninety two. Yeah, '92. They uh, made the playoffs, and everyone in Pittsburgh who was around then would tell you that Sid Bream ran through a stop sign and Barry Bonds, who flicked off Van Slyke from left field because Van Slyke's like play in, he couldn't throw him out. Sid Bream, who crossed home plate in a walker, scores Pirates. Loses the pennant and twenty years of futility to there, and I grew up with the futility teams. <laughs> oh, okay. oh, so that was your yeah. that was your real exposure. That was like there were years, weren't there, when Jason Kendall uh, was by far the best player on the team. Yep. Whenever I started, Kendall was the best. Uh, I grew up with some bad baseball. I mean, I eight. Uh, I know she said in her uh, okay, podcast. Her, yeah. Yeah, she said in her podcast, like, oh, terrible Mariners baseball. Not to take away from, you know, the suffering of Mariners fans, but they at least had a couple winning seasons, you know, sprinkled in there for a bit. 20 straight years. And it felt a little bit like uh, Bane from Dark Knight Rises. The, oh, you merely adopted losing seasons. I was born by it, raised by it. I didn't see 82 wins until I was a man. <laughs> is, that what, is that what Bane sounds like? Well, it'll sound a lot better through audio and stuff I'll see like what that. I can do in, in post-production. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so you, your claim is no. I know that, uh, and this is this was certainly the case when I joined Fangraphs, and I think it's probably um, been the case. Of course, uh, Fangraphs, uh, the managing editor is Dave Cameron. Uh, one of the most prominent writers for the site is Jeff Sullivan. Both of them, um, before they wrote for Fangraphs, wrote uh, with with some regularity about the Seattle Mariners. And I think there was a combination. Well, I don't necessarily know. I don't know if, um, if, it, if this is certainly the case, but it does seem as though that the team, um, I don't know if it's because they played poorly, but there was a certain interest in the team and they were playing poorly. I can say that I can say those two things are true. And I'm wondering from your perspective, because it doesn't, it's not, it doesn't seem like it would be the case, but if somehow futility, um, if somehow futility, do you think the, the the club's futility is somehow what drew you, if not to baseball in general, then maybe towards towards some sort of analytical interest in it? Because you have exhibited an analytical interest in it. Yeah. Um, well, if it does nothing else, it definitely weans out, you know, casual, you know, fans about it. I mean, if you watch terrible baseball and you still are passionately in love with baseball, then you're on the right track, mm-hmm. you know? So you think, so you think it requires, it's essentially a, like a testament to your interests 
both t- to the game generally and also to to this team specifically that you would hang around uh, to endure to endure what it is you're forced to endure. I, I think so. I mean, not to say you know someone from New York couldn't you know be a, you know just as good or mm-hmm. twenty times the writer I am, but I think whenever you see it's bad. I, let me rephrase that. If you see that it's good, you just kind of accept, oh, it's good. Mm-hmm. But if you see it's bad, it's like, why is this team so bad? And you start, you know, looking around for some things. I think that definitely helped the Pirates, you know, push them towards an analytical age. Because because you had to – there was always this curiosity as to what you, – you wanted to understood what made them so bad because you thought – well, I guess in part you can understand – um, right, it makes you more curious when you're suffering. Yeah. Suffering yeah. makes people curious. I think that might be true. I think that might be a good lesson. Suffering makes people curious because you think about it: attractive, attractive people, attractive wealthy people. They don't have. They, they're not forced to now. By the way, I'm painting with the broadest possible brush here, right? But you don't. They don't have to ask questions. They're not forced to. And it, and it, this was also a point. I forget. Uh, maybe I was watching someone deliver some sort of stand-up comedy jokes, but it was an attractive person, and I was very suspicious. I was very suspicious when it was like clearly an attractive person telling jokes because I did not believe that this person had had suffered, you know? No. Yeah. The starving artists. uh, Can we quote Guardians 2 yet? Is it a spoiler for the Drax line? The oh, you're lucky that you're ugly. Beautiful people never know if you know they're really loved. You uh, you've you've really um, you've really shown off your nerd credentials already. I believe what that's it? two superhero movies. I've got to do two more to beat the spread. Okay, all right. The um, <clears throat> so that so that first team was ninety two is the one you remember. No, no, that was I was alive for that. I was in diapers for that. Oh, okay. So you were alive. So yeah. what's the first team you really remember? Let's get let's let's sort of get to that. Probably 2003. That was a special year. That was the year that I really fell in love with the game and beyond just watching it, like trying to read it, mm-hmm. you try to, you know, find, you know, sources and like who's Matt Stairs? He's hit, you know, five home runs, you know, last couple weeks. Why isn't mm-hmm. he, you know, on a better team? Which was a terrible way of thinking, but you know, I was preteen and a little bit of a realist, I guess, mm-hmm. at that time. Right. Why? Why wouldn't he actually be on a on a good yeah. team? Uh, so that so that let's see. So that two thousand three team you said. Yeah. With let's see, running through. Uh, let, let me run through the lineup, and you just uh, deliver your impressions. Uh, you could be, either be of them now, or if you would like, and. Uh, probably more compelling your impressions of the player at the time okay? the 11 year old scouting report I yeah like yeah that let's the, yeah yeah let's let's get into these scouting reports first of all i will note jason kendall had had uh, his plate appearance total was 666 so <laughs> accept that however you'd like uh and also this is this um is must not be common jason kendall the catcher led the team in plate appearances which is rare, but I but he of course he played he played quite a uh, quite a lot of innings back then. A lot he let off. Yeah. So he so Jason Kendall was the first person. What does eleven year old Alex think about Jason Kendall? Eleven year old Alex loves Jason Kendall because eleven year old Alex stunk at Little League, 
and pretty much the only time I would get on base is I took a page out of him and I started crowding the plate. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, no 11-year-old can hit, throw a ball more than, like, 40 miles an hour. It doesn't really hurt. Mm-hmm. So he got hit, I don't know, probably close to 15, 20 times that year. I, every time I seemed to watch it, it seemed he got hit. In I fact, you've underestimated. Moneyball before you, Moneyball. You've underestimated it. It was 25. 25. Yeah, so that's quite a bit for that season. So so you, ado- you actually adopted um, – some, one of Jason Kendall's, I guess, probably most painful skills, pain, yes. painful talents. And I had the it. 100, no, not even, like the 50 batting average and the 500 on-base percentage type right. of guy. Yeah. All right. So that's uh, Jason Kendall. First baseman, Randall Simon. It looks like he was the most often used first baseman. Randall Simon's claim to fame, in Pittsburgh at least, I'm breaking the 11-year-old here, was in Milwaukee. They had they have the sausage races, the same way the Nationals run the Presidents and Pirates run pierogies, and I'm sure a bunch of other teams do something similar. Uh, they ran sausages, and he was in the dugout, and he claims that he was trying to help one out, you know, give it a little push. But he, not hard, but he hit one of the sausages with a bat mm-hmm. yeah. and, and knocked it out, which... Oh, do you mean – what do you mean? Not not just knocked it out of the race, like concussed. Not concussed, but like knocked it over. Okay, yeah. It cost yeah. him the race. Right. Yeah, well, the stakes are, are big in those races. So yes. that's that's the real Simon. Uh, the second baseman looked like – it looked like it was not – Pokey Reese? Well, well covered. What's that? Pokey Reese or is that a Jeff Rebelay year? This is Jeff Rebelay. Yes, this is fantastic. And actually, you've just added new, a new dimension. I will ask you to name the player before I Okay. Do. Right. Uh, so, yes, what's your Jeff, your Jeff Rebelais getting report? Jeff Rebelais, I'm biased because I'm sure if you checked out the game logs, like his first 20 games or so, he probably hit close to 400 or something like that. He was really good and then just stunk the rest of the year. Mm-hmm. But, you know, completely biased for those that first 20 games or so. Uh, Pokey Reese, I remember him. I think he won a gold glove. I might be crazy. I think he was a uh, well, at least the report at the time uh, was that he was a talented defense uh, yeah. defender. And in fact, the year after this, he played for the World Championship Boston Red Sox. That's right. Yeah, as a as the defensive frequent defensive replacement for an indifferent, a triumphantly indifferent Mark Bellhorn. I don't know if you remember Mark Bellhorn at all, but I was in love with him as a player because. He seemed like he'd rather be doing anything else besides play baseball. Um, he looked like it looked like he he was essentially just waiting for the game to get over so he could return to his Trans Am or Firebird, <laughs> whichever GM model sports car he owned, and just turn Def Leppard up as high as it could go, pull, pull some cigarettes out of his um, his stonewashed jean jacket, and. Um, and, uh, you know, sing along to the hits of the 70s and 80s. I loved it, though. And it actually it, – it turned out to work for Gwaii Frobel. I think what he did is he had he had a um, – he had a, a, a perfect understanding of his limitations, which I think is the – I think is the greatest asset uh, that yeah. a human can have. And uh, I still regard him as something of a totem. Um, so that's my Mark Bellhorn scouting report that was unsolicited. <laughs> I apologize. but uh, No, no. That was great. Yeah, but I, like I think the that... idea of uh, – oh, who's the coach from Bad News Bears? 
butter. Well, yeah, well, yeah, right. Butter, buttersworth, butter, butter. That sounds butter. right. Yeah, yeah. He's like probably today, you know, twelve years out of baseball. Like that's probably where he is now. So, yeah, I would, I would gladly play for Mark Bellhorn as a youth. I mean, at me as a youth. Him, I guess he's. Well, it's hard. It's sometimes at a certain point it's hard to tell if you're older than players or not. I assume he's older than I am, uh, but probably not by much at this point. Um. <clears throat> All right, yeah. Uh, let's move on to shortstop. That's Jack Wilson. Okay, this is fantastic. Jack Flash. I can see. I should have started. This should have been the strategy from the very beginning because we are getting into the sort of the marrow of your fandom. I can tell. Yes. Because I think that is the. I think a. I think anyone's a fan's first team has a even if it's terrible and maybe, um, and it, maybe I'm just romanticizing it. Maybe because it's terrible, it's actually there's something yeah. there's somehow some more joy to it. Because you really feel ownership of the players. It's a baseball guilty pleasure. I mean, like, no one's going to try to wrestle it away from me, but, man, those 03 Pirates, they've got, got me right now, by Jack the heartstrings. Wilson, Jack Wilson was actually really good the, the season after this. It was 04 um, he won the Silver Slugger, not this one? Yeah, my, well, I don't know, but it must have been. It was 2004 where he um, he had a three oh eight uh, batting average. Okay. Someone you're off on that. Yeah, but so what? Do you, but generally, uh, your general impressions of Jack Wilson? Oh, I, I loved Jack. I mean, Jack was the type of guy, the Mark Bellhorn. You know your limitations. He did not know his limitations. I he would make these. He would try that Jeter leg flip. You know, getting mm-hmm. the ball from the hole. He would try that two or three times a game. It would feel like, and he just hardly ever got it. But man, whenever he did, it was so special. <laughs> it was so special. He was the perfect embodiment of those early 2000s teams. That, like, no, it wasn't good, but at least he was trying. You could tell he was leaving it out all on the field. He was into it, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think I feel like they've had um, – didn't they didn't – they, no, I don't see him on this team. Maybe he was on this team, and maybe he was just after. But that, that team, uh, those Pirates, experienced a lot of Clint Barmas, didn't they? Yeah. Was it? Was he? I mean, through most of the aughts, wasn't Clint Barmas a part of the team? Well, he went by different names. Uh, Chris Steins. Uh, oh, okay. Do you think Jeremy Burnett's? Like, there were about five Clint Barmases on the team at any given year. Felt like. <laughs> and do you think it was a product of cloning, or was it? Uh, was oh. it just a fancy, fancy getup that he was wearing and changing into different outfits? <laughs> He's changing Maybe like to, mustaches and top to hats. save. To save money for the club? <laughs> I said one guy. I know someone pointed it out. Maybe it's Grant Brisby recently. If you watch uh, Taylor Motter and um, Ben Gamble bat back-to-back, um, one bat's righty, one bat's lefty, but it really just essentially looks like it's the same guy has gone to the dugout um, and then walked back right back out of it. They have very similar uh, uh, fashion style. Okay. Funny story uh, with that. Um I actually I went out to Philadelphia because I could hitch a ride, and uh, David got me a credential for the game. And I wanted to, you know, talk about Motter in his hand position in there. So I talked to him, and I see him, and I'm like, "Hey, Taylor, mind if I bother you for a minute?" He's like, "I'm Sam." <laughs> oh no, really? Yes, yes. Because the thing they don't talk about is like one's fourteen and one's sixteen, numbers two. So th- that's actual cloning. They're not even trying to hide it. <laughs> Well, sitting right there. Were you chagrined? Yes, I am yeah. glad that I am not making a trip out to Seattle to 
Let's check off the list of other people you've you've disappointed. Yes, so there's three. Very good. Uh, third base. Oh, an impressive player. Yes, yeah, so Ramos Ramirez. Mm-hmm. Before he got traded off with, I'm, I'm just going to spoil you for center field, Kenny Lofton. Okay, right. Yeah. For Bobby Hill. Oh, and, that's right. Oh, wow. And Jose so, Hernandez. Why do I remember these? I could, I could remember why Germans moved to Pittsburgh instead of remembering the Bobby Hill trade. That's right. <laughs> and you could have even bothered to know what your own surname means. No, no. So, but I okay, gotta remember so, Bobby Hill. So, so Ramos Ramirez. This is the year during which he was traded to Chicago. Yes. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, that's right. And uh, was he now? He was. Uh, he was a player. In perhaps you had a similar experience. Perhaps you didn't. He was a player that I encountered. Um, I don't know. Maybe just after having read Moneyball. Of course, he played before. But uh, I remember being influenced in my assessment of Ramos Ramirez by the sort of uh, you know very much the Billy Bean. Um, or what was it interpreted as Billy Bean's uh, means of assessing players? And and so when I looked at Rams Ramirez, I saw a guy who didn't walk that much, and I thought, ugh, no. he's not not worth anything. But he um he had some strange seasons for the Pirates, didn't he? He would um he, he it was, looks like he had a very good 2001, but he had some down seasons as well. Yeah, 2002 he was hurt, if I remember, mm-hmm. and he just tried to play through it. And, yeah, I think that soured me because, actually, I'm talking about how much I love Jeff Rebelay and Jack Wilson. I wasn't really an Aramis Ramirez fan. I don't know what it is. I tend to gravitate more to, like, lesser players, the hustlers <laughs> type yeah. of guys than, you know, people like, oh, he could actually be a superstar. Now, in terms of uh, in terms of fringe types, I did notice, and this is a uh, this will be a brief diversion, um, um, because we probably won't get him otherwise. But it was uh, Tyke Redman played for this team. Yep. And if you want to talk about fringe uh, fringe delights, Tyke Redman was is an interesting one. He didn't get. A, I mean, he was out of baseball almost immediately after after, or at least out of Major League Baseball, immediately after joining it. But he actually had a really imp- uh, impressive 2003 season with the Pirates. Made a lot of contact and exhibited sufficient power. Uh, to produce nearly two wins in about a half season. Yeah, but the problem with Tyke Redman was Parts had another player named Adam Heisdu, who pretty much did the same thing. He played center, he played pretty much any outfield position, and he never got his fair shake. I He is my what-if. If it wasn't 03, it was like probably about 2002, where like over 250, 50 plate appearances, he put up almost like two wins mm-hmm. by himself, hit 10 home runs, and no, can't have that. They just shipped him off. Where did, where did he, oh, it looks like he ended up with the Red Sox system somehow. Why is it whenever they went, oh, three Pirates go to the Red Sox and win a World Series? It's, it's amazing. Well, because the Red Sox won the World Series in 2004. Oh, man, spoilers. <laughs> I, I was just on 2002 catching up on every game. Yeah. The uh okay, uh what does 11-year-old Alex think about uh, the team's left fielder? Brian Giles. Yeah. Uh I liked him. I, I mm-hmm. wasn't, you know, crazy about him, but I liked him probably. Is this again you're not crazy about him because he's actually good? Jack Wilson syndrome. Idea? Jack right, Wilson okay. syndrome. Yeah, yeah. And it's actually interesting to hear stories now from uh people in the press box talking about uh 
you know, Brian Giles and, oh, man, what a jerk. I, I can't believe blah, 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 blah. Not to name names or anything, but nobody yeah. seemed to like him. He did not want to be in Pittsburgh, apparently. And that's a fairly universal assessment <laughs> on him. I yeah, mean, I, Kendall is famous for saying, like, the welcome to hell and the, oh, man, the 666 plate appearances. Right, yeah. Wait, 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 wait. Did he say welcome to hell? Is that is that for real? He's credited with it. I've heard that someone else said to you know, player came in. He's like, "Hey, welcome to hell." When was uh, when was PNC Park built? Oh, one was the first year. Oh, okay. So so some of the, so this season that we're discussing here was actually part of that. Yeah, this is still on the. You build us a new stadium, and we're you know trying to win now. Yeah. Now because, Brian Giles. Brian Giles, by the way, was really good. Yeah, for a few years. For a few years. Yeah. Um, he was uh, great, now he he was one of those. He was with Cleveland for a while, mm-hmm. and they had so many good players that he barely he didn't record more than four hundred plate appearances till his age twenty six season. Well, they happen to have a pretty good left fielder named Manny Ramirez blocking right. him in. <laughs> yeah, um, but it's it's really interesting. I don't know if you see that situation exactly. In the meantime. I feel like maybe when there was Ryan, there was a moment when Ryan Howard was blocked by Jim Tomey in Philadelphia. And I know this is going to sound a bit absurd, but I think there is, there's one player now uh, upon whom I reflect as being sort of unfairly blocked. And that's Austin Barnes in the, in the Dodgers system. Um, I don't know if you have any feelings about Austin Barnes, uh, but he's been uh, a really good minor league player for a while now. Um, and he's actually this year, he has 57 plate appearances, and it's his career high. It's his age 27 season. Um, yeah, I, he recorded half a win. Wow. Do you I, have I don't have an opinion on Austin Barnes. So you don't I'm have not an gonna... opinion on Austin Barnes. Yeah, but um, but right. But in terms of players who are sort of, um, I don't know if it's just like being taken advantage of because, uh, well, they probably are to some degree. But he was never he was never bad in the major leagues, uh, Brian Giles, until he was like thirty eight. <laughs> so he yeah. was, it was a pretty good run. Was it thirty eight um, or was it Mitchell Report era? Um. Well, do you, in terms of Mitchell Report, do you mean uh, now? Are, if we're talking about PEDs and Brian Giles, I'll be honest, I don't remember I, what I, the verdict was. But but is that was he included among it? I I believe so. I might be talking, okay. you know. No, no, no. It's it's uh, yeah. totally possible. A lot of players. Were if it is that. not, I am sorry, Mr. Giles, for slandering your good name. Yeah. Now he did have some. Um, he did have some particularly strong home run seasons. The thing about yes. Giles, however, is that he also had like impeccable plate discipline. Yeah, I um, think he came up in Moneyball too as the opposite Ramos Ramirez. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And yet, and yet, neither of them found their way. Into your sort of um, no, um, your pantheon of uh, mediocre pirates players. Not like the right fielder uh, Reggie Sanders. Okay, well let's move over to there. Yeah, we'll leave. The, you, How about you that? Focus. That's what we call transition in the biz. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Reggie <laughs> Sanders, uh, you know, he's a sort of player who um, I probably haven't, uh, you know, like um, sites like says like Fangraphs, Fangraphs type metrics. Um, I probably haven't gone back and reviewed his career um, to find out what kind of player he was, but I'm doing that literally right now. And he was uh, he was quite good. Yeah, he was. Yeah. I think he played for seven different teams in seven consecutive years, which 
hopefully is a lame old record that no ball player has to endure ever again. Yeah, that doesn't seem particularly. But he was like pretty decent during yeah, all. Yeah, he was seasons. good at all of them. It wasn't like yeah. he crashed and burned anywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, I met Reggie Sanders back the O three team in the little before and after. I guess they would take uh, some players and they would put them in a grocery store chain here in Pittsburgh called Giant Eagle. And you get to go, you get to meet them, get autographs if you're a kid, which is cool whenever you're, you know, 10, 11, 12 years old. But they're usually bad players, you know, which might stem why I like the Jack Wilsons and Jeff Rebelays, because they would be the type of guys who would be there. But Reggie Sanders actually went there. And I remember Mm -hmm. meeting him. He was nice. And two days later, I got tickets to the game, and we were sitting in the front row in right field, and I screamed out, hey, Reggie! And he looked back, I waved, and he waved back. So Reggie Sanders is forever in that highest tier pantheon of favorite players. (laughs) Now, would you say, would you describe, if you were going to characterize Giant Eagle, um, would you say say it's the sort of place that carries a vast array of groceries and features a full-service pharmacy, bakery, dry cleaners, deli, and cheese shop? Yes, that sounds like a good Wikipedia description. <laughs> All right, I'm just curious to see. If, uh, now, I've never heard of Giant Eagle before. Is that a place where I could buy Yingling, though, if if necessary? Uh, as of a couple, well, I guess about a year and a half. Yes. Wait, why only a year and a half ago? Pennsylvania has some pretty backwards alcohol laws. Very uh, blue state, not blue state. Uh, I can't remember the word for it. Uh, but they were very. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Blue, law, the blue laws. Yeah, blue laws. Thank you. Yeah, very restrictive with that. Um, it wasn't until we got our new governor that you know he finally is starting to lean up on it. It was weird. We couldn't buy twelve packs in Pennsylvania. Really, anywhere, anywhere. But the way they got around it was you put two twelve packs in like a little bit of cardboard underneath it, and all of a sudden it's a twenty four pack. <laughs> That's a lot of beer. Yeah, well, that's just the case at that point. Yeah. Um, so so uh, 11-year-old Alex liked Reggie Sanders and then Centerfield. Kenny Lofton liked him. He he didn't get his fair share in Pittsburgh. Well, I'm not sure that uh, he did anywhere, really. I mean, No, no. It, it, um, just a very quietly, very solid player for 10 years. The type of guy that never was quite good enough to build around, but, you know, he was... With the Giants the year before, wasn't he for that team that almost won the World Series? Yeah, the Giants and White, yeah. and White Sox. He split time then too. Yeah, he ended up splitting time with a bunch of teams towards the end of his career, um, and he was he was pretty good with all of them, really. Yeah, um, I mean, he was good to if he's good enough season. to be alongside Barry Bonds for that, you know, almost World Series title, mm-hmm. that's that has to mean something. Now, this was also, it looks like maybe the first season of uh, Jason Bay's career. Yeah, he came over in the Brian Giles trade with Oliver Perez, who uh, right. just made a trip to PNC Park <laughs> this past week. You know, he, and it's funny because, of course, he batted from the other side, but he had a very uh, Giles-esque approach at the plate, didn't he? Maybe with less contact skills, but he was a was a, a reasonably talented power hitter. Yeah. And um, he put up some wins when he, in the Pirates uniform. He was a solid player except for one year in Pittsburgh mm-hmm. and the second he put on a New York Mets uniform. 
Yeah, that's right. Yeah, he he kind of uh, yeah he had trouble in his early thirties. Didn't last very long, I guess. No, no. Um, <clears throat> so that yeah that was Jason Bay's first year, and he started a bit late too. He didn't have a, he didn't have a full season until he was uh, age twenty five. No. Um, I don't remember necessarily what his prospect status was, uh, but I'm I'm inclined to believe it was not top of the line. Uh, now. Bobby Hill was the player that you mentioned. This was part of the trade with the Cubs, Aramis Ramirez, to the Cubs in exchange for uh, Bobby Hill and someone who's different than Bobby Hill, I guess. Who who was it? Uh, alongside Bobby Hill. Uh, or was it just Bobby Hill? Uh, no, no, there was definitely. You cited. He was the player to be named later. Jose Hernandez. Is that okay, what I said? Okay, yeah, you, yeah, you, you noted that, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but Bobby Hill was supposed to, he was supposed to be great. I don't know Wasn't if great. He? No, oh. no, that, see, here's the thing about those 2000 Pirate teams, early 2000s. If the Pirates were going to trade someone like Aramis Ramirez, who had years of team control, a very highly sought after, you know, commodity in today's mm-hmm. market, if they were to trade him today, they would want some, you know, front-of-the-line prospect. You know, someone that they could, you know, slot in as either a two- or three-starter or future, you know, all-star put ceiling. They went for the major league-ready guys. The guys that, like, we could just slot them in now. Not. Do you have a sense, looking back on it, do you have a sense why they did that? <sighs> Insanity? Yeah, okay. I, <laughs> I think they were just impatient. I think it really was that, you know, they built a new stadium mm-hmm. and they're like, we got to win now. And the best way to win now is, you know, not to develop, you know, a kid for two or three years and just get someone who's ready now. I remember the Chris Benson deal a couple of years later. Uh, Benson, another pitcher, I think he had a year or two of control left, another commodity, went to the Mets. And I don't know how true this is, but I remember, you know, being about 12 or 13 at the time that it was a choice between Ty Wigginton, who was in the majors, your major league ready prospect, mm-hmm. or this single A, double A player who's going to take a little bit of time named David Wright. Mm. And they chose Wigginton because yeah. now, which in hindsight might be one of, if it really was an either or situation, that might be one of the worst trades the Pirates have made. The generations. G, the, G, the GM during this period was that Dave uh, Littlefield. Littlefield, right? And we, now I, I don't necessarily remember all of his moves, but that was that characteristic of Littlefield. Yes, his tenure there. Yes, I remember. Oh, about a year after the Brian Giles trade, that was the year Jason Bay wins Rookie of the Year. Oliver Perez has fantastic year, you know, pitching, and those were the two pieces they got back for Giles, and. Uh, one of the local newspapers wrote a story that he contributed on, on what his best trades and worst trades were. And the best trades were like, okay, we got Oliver Perez and Jason Bay for Brian Giles. We have two people we can build the franchise around. And that was about one-fourth of the article. And then the rest, it's, okay, we traded Aramis Ramirez for Bobby Hill. That didn't work out. Uh, we traded Jason Schmidt for Ryan Vogelsong. That didn't work out. We traded... Randall Simon a couple times, uh, and it seemed like for every good movie made, he had about four bad ones. Traded Jason Schmidt uh, to the Giants? To the Giants, for Ryan Vogelsong. 
who later got Vogel Song back anyway. Yes, and won a couple World Series with San Francisco. So that's <laughs> yeah. what you call the raw end of a deal. Yeah, I guess it is. Yeah, they they essentially they they received no one. No, uh, in that deal essentially. Jason Schmidt was really good for a while. Yeah. Um, not as good, not as good with the Pirates as he ended up being with the Giants over a couple of seasons. Um, endured maybe some heavier usage than was ideal, but of course, uh, pitchers are fragile, and that's it's uh, going to happen. I'm sure um, ten years from now we're going to look at guys throwing 220 innings and going like, "What were you thinking, throwing Kershaw that much?" No, I don't pitched. need to, I, I don't need to belabor this this project, but in, in, among all the pitchers, are there any that stand out for 11 year old Alex? Well, actually, I could probably name the whole rotation. Yeah, go for it's, it. As sad like as it is. Uh, Kip Wells. Yep. Uh, Josh Fogg. Yep. Jeff Supon, probably my oh, yeah. favorite out of the bunch. Really? Yes. Because? My dad liked him. Okay. That was the... <laughs> he's like, okay. I like this guy. And you look at him, like, oh, I like him too now. Yeah, yeah. It, it, you don't really have a winner out of that bunch. Maybe Kip. Uh, Jeff D'Amico. Mm-hmm. Who who I think had one did he have one superlative season I think probably with the uh, the Brewers at one point sounds right yeah what I remember is. about D'Amico is uh, every he had he threw his curveball ridiculous amount of times yeah. or every time that he did at least uh, either Lanny Fratelli or Greg Brown the play by play guys would always go big curveball from D'Amico mm-hmm. so I just like the image of this. Giant arcing curve coming out of his hand. Uh, oh, you think he had a big curveball? He probably did. Yeah, I'd love to see like the vertical splits for that. I should check that yeah, out. They did not exist at the time. Now, what else? Uh, wait, did you name? I got four out of the five. Yeah, and you've already mentioned the fifth. Oh, Vogel song. No, no. Uh, Vogel song did appear for the team. You're right. He made uh, five starts. But making 18 starts was Chris was Chris Benson. Benson, yeah. There we go. Chris Benson was he not one of their uh, first round picks at some point? I think he was. I think wasn't he supposed to be a big deal? In fact, he was not. He was a good for pick. a while. He was a one one. He was a first overall pick, is what he was. Better than Bullington turned out to be. I mean, and Bullington was also one one. Is that right? Yep. Yeah, that didn't turn out very either, very good either. I guess it's. Uh, one of the dangers of taking a, a pitcher first overall was um, – do we know if, if Benson was a – was he a college guy or was he a – He was a college guy. He was, okay. They tended to do that. They had, you know, top-of-the-line picks for, you know, three or four years. Of course. At well, least. That's what happens when you lose bad. Yeah. Well, that was the thing. They didn't lose bad a lot. At the times, they ended up with, like, 72 wins. So you get that 10th round – not 10th, but 10th overall pick. Yeah, right. Okay. But, you know, they had first – number one overall for a while, and they drafted Bullington, and everyone apparently said, like, Bullington's going to be, you know, third or fourth round guy because he projects as a three or four starter. And they said, oh, we drafted him because we could sign him. Mm -hmm. At least that's my understanding, you know, 11 years old at the time. And uh, I reread Moneyball a while ago, and they brought up Bullington. It's like, how did I miss this earlier? And Billy Bean, in the whole draft chapter, in case anyone here hasn't read it, he went on a big rampage, like, only draft college players. I was drafted out of high school, and it messed me up. Only draft college players. And that year, the Pirates had the number one pick, and they picked Bullington. And the blurb was, at least he was a college player. (laughs) 
which is probably <laughs> the nicest thing anyone ever said about the selection of Brian Bullington as not, the number yeah, one overall not. pick. Well, at least he was in college. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> uh, now, l- let me ask you a question uh, about what you do now. But also, I'm going to ask you to um, to participate in a in a little bit of a game with me in a second. It's not not a very strenuous game. Don't worry. Uh, no stretching <laughs> okay. necessary. Um, but we're going to talk about uh, Pirates' middle infielders in a second. Middle infield prospects. Okay. Um, uh, for the moment, though, I'm interested in your current projects. I think you I think you you do some writing for the Point of Pittsburgh. Is that right? That's right. They're the ones who hooked me up with this sweet gig. Yeah, I do mostly Pirates, but during Duquesne season, I send some stuff out for that too. Can, um, can you give me a? Can you give me and also? Uh, um, but proxy the, the listeners a brief uh, a brief summary of what is the point of Pittsburgh. Uh, Kevin describes it, and I think it's a pretty apt description. And, that, and that's Kevin Krieg, because he say it. Yeah, I believe, man, four four people. <laughs> uh, boy, this is Craig Krieg. I that's bad. It's okay. Yeah, yeah you can um, be wrong. It's all right. Do, yeah, live. Yeah, I'll just be get fired tomorrow. It's okay. <laughs> be authentic in it. Yeah, that's yeah, fine. This is real. Um, yeah, Pittsburgh Grantland. They're trying to bring in, you know, young writers, give them a voice to write about either pirates or penguins, who they're doing pretty well at the moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, Steelers, City Life. Just a good platform for that. Um, yeah, another site that I write for that I'm credentialed through. Uh, the Point of Pittsburgh, not Point of Pittsburgh, well, uh, uh, Pittsburgh Sports Report, credentialed through the Pirates. Uh, they approached uh, the person who wrote with me, you know, to join on. And they asked, like, do you have any other uh, people that you could suggest? That's how mm-hmm. I came on. Uh, it's a great site. I mean, it's not the best layout, graphically designed. Not one of us is a web designer. That's okay, our flaw. Yeah. <laughs> but it's so good how, content. It's great content. And how would you um, how would you characterize the, the the sort of posts you write for that site? What is your uh, What do you think your sort of main concern is? And and probably less about the Duquesne stuff and more about the stuff yeah. when you're when you're looking at the pirates. Parts. Um. Actually, I started there trying to do you know, fan graphs type stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, just looking at analytical stuff because I mean McCutcheon was struggling. You know, last year, I think that was the first post I made, but nobody's really talking about, you know, well, how hard is he hitting the ball compared to last year? What's his bat speed? Stuff like that. And, you know, I looked at that, and I did that again this year, obviously. But uh, there really wasn't a lot of people in Pittsburgh, besides Travis, who went on to bigger and better things, who really did. <laughs> uh, stuff like that, the analytical side, and I figured that'd be a good place to try to find my voice there. I think I found it, or am finding it in the process of it. Uh, But sometimes I screw around. Like, I, for around the holidays, I did a retelling of uh, Twas the Night Before Christmas. That turned out fun. I'm working on something where I'm manipulating uh, Cleverbot, actually. That fun, outdated program to get conversations about the pirates with him. Or it. You mentioned Andrew McCutcheon. He seems to be a, a, a source, and I'm sure that he's not necessarily happy about performing poorly, but he seems also to be a sort of um, 
Well, he's meant a lot to the organization over, yeah. I don't know, is it like even a de- I mean, it might be a decade now, right? Yeah, he was drafted, I think, in about 05, so he's been in the organization at least 10 years. Right. Yeah, and it's a shame to, you know, see him struggle like this. I mean, I wrote about how there's a case for optimism, I believe that. I mm-hmm. I don't buy, you know, that uh, he's going to... He's having one of the worst drop-offs for age 29 and 30 seasons. Went from MVP to replacement level pretty much overnight. I don't buy that. But if nothing else, he deserves a better send-off than these, you know, trade rumors of, oh, he's going to get dealt at the deadline and he's, you know, barely above replacement. He meant a lot to this city. I mean, he probably, he was the fish that saved Pittsburgh you know, the baseball equivalent. Just, he helped save the city's, you know, baseball interest because even though I love the 03 Pirates, there wasn't a lot of people who did. Right, yeah, they don't have that uh, special connection to no Jack Wilson that you do. No. Well, maybe Jack um, Wilson. <clears throat> well, it's actually, I was talking uh, about McCutcheon perhaps even yesterday. Um, he came up because we were actually having a conversation about the Chris Davis who plays for the Oakland A's and what a sort of rare player he is, right? Because he's like 5'8", maybe? Yeah. Um, and he he's he's only 5'8", or maybe 5'9", and he has – his profile is like – I mean, his existence in the major leagues is entirely dependent upon power on contact, which is not a typical – which is not typical of that skill set, right? Or of, of, no. that, of that sort of frame. No. You wouldn't expect that to be the skill – and I said, well, I said, uh, Cameron, why do you think it was that uh, this Chris Davis, you know, was uh, absent from, you know, uh, industry prospect lists and never really appeared towards the top of a Brewers list because he was a prospect in that organization? And he said, if, you know, if Davis had been bigger, if he had been the size of the other Chris Davis who plays for Baltimore, then it likely would not have been an issue. But if you if you're considering a guy who basically has no other skill, you know he's uh, he he does he's not a particularly good outfielder. He's not he's not rangy. He has a, a very poor arm. Um, he doesn't make very good contact. And his carrying skill is power, um, but it's not entirely clear where he gets that power. Then naturally, um, and you know, in power of course is going to decline as he gets into his thirties. Teams will be will be nervous about that. And and then we discussed how uh, you know how a player with a broad base of skills is uh, to, you know at some level antithetical to that. You can lose if you have you know if you're roughly a five two player and you've got patience at the plate, you can lose uh, or you know you can experience some decline in one facet of your game or another. But because you have such a, a broad base of uh, skills, um, that decline will not be felt as keenly. And it really is the case that you know for years Andrew McCutcheon was essentially the poster boy. Uh, for for that sort of skill set, yeah. uh, and yet he has suffered uh, at least over the past what season and a couple months, he has suffered a pretty stark uh, drop off. It, it, I guess it's the, the point I'm trying to illustrate with way too many words is that you would not ex- of all the players you would not expect this sort of thing to be happening to Andrew McCutcheon. No, no, I'm. Uh... I think I read something for another site that I write for called uh, Pirates Breakdown that his drop off in WRC plus is the second greatest for a player in you know age twenty nine and thirty seasons mm-hmm. behind Mattingly, I believe they said. Who 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 very clearly had what, a back a injury, back, right? Back, yes, and right. uh, 
McCutcheon, back in high school, the reason why he fell on the pirate's lap at, I believe, 11 or whatever it was, because he tore his ACL playing football. And I don't know if that, you know, is coming by. I don't know how well, you know, an athlete can recover from that. I don't know if, you know, the old football injury mentality or old wives tale is true. Mm -hmm. It could be that. I mean, there definitely is not as much explosiveness between 2015 and then 2016 and 2017. You know, first step, bat speed, stuff like that. I don't know. It's, it's just seems unprecedented to see all five tools pretty much give out, you know, at once. Right. Like and that. a lot of it seems to be, cause he used to, he used to carry very high uh, batting averages and balls in play. Yeah. And, well, he and was, I think he was fast then and not saying he's slow now, but he's definitely not as fast as he was in 2014, where I think he had a 100 batting average on ground balls in the infield, which soon happened. Right. And, and, um, there's also, as you mentioned, there must be something with, um, just the combination of, uh, some, something with how he's striking the ball as well. Yeah. Uh, which is causing that decline. He only, he, his right now, his BABIP is just over 220. I mean, uh, that, would, that I has to go up at some point. Just law of averages. One, one assumes, yeah. One assumes it. Um, and he was worth, as a 23 year old with the Pirates, <clears throat> is when he recorded, uh, no, in fact, it was uh, as a 24-year-old. He recorded the lowest BABIP of his career at 290. Yeah. Um, and he still was worth five and a half wins that year. So, in theory, that should not be the thing that totally sinks him. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's not it's not particularly pleasant to watch at the moment. And I imagine no. that there's some hand-wringing uh, for those who... who um, who already liked the Pirates or maybe came to the Pirates, you know, within the last uh, five, ten years, yep. uh, who have got a great deal of affection for McCutcheon and are, and appreciate his uh, significance to, to baseball in Pittsburgh. Besides maybe Crosby and Malkin, he probably is the most beloved, or at least pre-slump, he was the most beloved athlete in Pittsburgh, probably more than any Steeler. You know, this is supposed to be a football town. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, even now, I mean, it's more that they're just frustrated and they don't want to see him, you know, struggle the way that he has more than they're angry at him. Adam, I don't think this city could ever hate Andrew McCutcheon. He could suit up for a cub, as a cub, you know, tomorrow, mm-hmm. you know, become an MVP again, and this city would still love him. It just has a funny way of showing sometimes. Yeah. Uh, okay, now let me get uh, – I've almost kept you for an hour, so I don't want to uh, persist much longer. But uh, I have taken recent interest, and um, I understand if people have not taken this some sort of interest, in a in the collection of notable middle infield prospects uh, whom the Pittsburgh Pirates currently employ. Yes. Uh, now I'm going to say their names in alphabetical order. Uh, how well-versed are you in, in Pittsburgh Pirates prospects? Very. I mean, I can't go all the way down to like fifty or sixty, but if it's somewhere close to that top thirty. Okay. So here are the players about whom I'd like to speak with right. you. Uh, mostly second baseman Kevin Kramer. Familiar? Familiar to you? Yeah, he's breaking out a bit this year. It seems. Yeah. Like. Hey, keep the comments to oh, yourself. Oh, oh, all right. Oh, 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 oh. Uh, Kevin Newman. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um. Uh, let's see. Pablo Reyes. 
Pablo Reyes, currently at Double A. Not as much, actually. Not as familiar with him? No. Well, why don't you... Um, I'm going to Google him real fast. Google him in clandestine fashion as I continue to speak with you. And then Cole Tucker. Yes. Cole Tucker, currently playing at high A. I think he was the first-round pick from a few years ago. Um, and he has, uh, he's already stolen over 25 bases. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, um, with the exception of Newman, all three of these guys... Uh, are eligible for a column that I rate on a weekly basis called the Fringe Five, in which I highlight um, the performances of players who have not appeared on a preseason top 100 list, an updated prospect list. Uh, I include John Sickle's top 200 list. So the idea is uh, merely to identify players who were omitted from the industry list and therefore are likely receiving less attention because of that. And to um, you know to bring to bring some attention to their to their performances. <clears throat> um, as you noted, uh, Kramer is having a very strong season. Mm-hmm. Um, I will mention right now, Colt as I Colt Tucker was a first round pick who's having a good season. Kevin Newman uh, was a I think he was a first round pick as well. Does that sound familiar? Yes. And uh, now, have you beefed up on your Pablo Reyes? Yes file okay all right all 45 it, seconds of scouting that i've done okay very good now here's what here's what we're going to do okay we are going to <clears throat> we're going to rank the four of them all right by order in in order of career war and uh you know 15 20 years we're going to come back to this and see who won all right okay i like this so um now i can go first or or you can go first whichever Please uh, go for it. You you're inviting me to go first. Yes, go first. Okay. Um, well, my first pick, I suppose, will be. Um, oh boy, I'll take Cole Tucker first. I'm going to do Tucker, Kramer, then I'll do Newman. But I and I want to make it clear, I still really like Pablo Reyes. I still really like Pablo Reyes, and uh, here's going to be the there's going to be a tie-breaking element in case we, uh, you know, uh, I don't know, we'll we'll figure out exactly how. But if we've kind of been equally wrong in our in our estimation, then we'll also come up with a career uh, war total for all four players. So I won't produce mine yet, uh, but I'm interested in your in your order. Um. Well, I'm high on Newman, so I'm going to okay. take him first. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tucker would probably be my second. Okay, yeah. And then I should probably go with Kramer over Reyes because I don't think it's fair <laughs> to go with the guy who I've just looked at a stat line for it. I've seen a little of Kramer, <laughs> so I'll go with Kramer. <laughs> okay. Now here's how we're going to grade it. Um, We're going to take each guy and we're going to uh, subtract... Um, we're going to take the absolute value of where we ranked him versus his actual ranking, okay? We're, okay. we're going to add up all the points, and whoever has the lowest score wins, okay? So, like, I, you said that Kevin Newman was first. Yes. If he's first, one minus one, zero, you get uh, zero points for Newman, but in this case, zero points is good because the lowest score wins. If uh, Newman finishes fourth, uh, four minus one or one minus four doesn't matter. Uh, three absolute value three. That's three points. That's bad. That's as bad as you can do in this game. Um, so the total with that. Now, um, what I would like you to do, 
I'll give you uh, ten seconds. I will play the uh, I will play the Fangraphs hold music. Okay, you don't you don't know what it sounds like, but you will when you listen to the program later on. I'll play the Fangraphs hold music. I'm going to give you an opportunity to produce a a total war figure for all four of these players at the major league level. Okay. All right. And then and then uh, and then when you're done. I'll say, okay, you go, and then you'll say yours, and then I'll say mine right after. All, All right. right. So take take a second to compute it. All right. Okay, I'm ready when you are. Okay. You still computing, or you got it? I've got it. Okay, that was the Fangraphs hold music then. And, uh, all right, give me your number. For the total war, uh, in in your case, the, the order in which you've placed them is uh, Kevin Newman, uh, Cole Tucker, Kevin Kramer, and Pablo Reyes. All middle infield prospects in the Pittsburgh Pirates system. All right, well, Newman I have at 12.3. Okay. <laughs> I'm going very specific on all these. Yeah, I see that. Uh, 10.8 for Tucker. Okay. 1.6 for Kramer. Ooh, okay. And 0.2 for Reyes. All right, yeah. Not much of that. And what does that add up to? Oh, man, now you're making me do math. You didn't add it? No. Okay, well, will you do it, please, quickly? I said 12.3, 10.2, 1.6, and No, zero. you said 12.3, 10.8. 10.8. 1.6. One point six, and then point two. So One that's twelve point fourteen point one. That is twenty four point nine. We'll okay, round 20, up twenty five. We're going to say twenty five war for the lot of them. Yes. And what have I said here? I've said Tucker, uh, Tucker fifteen, Kramer twelve, Newman twelve, and uh, Pablo Reyes six. And it actually wow. equals uh, forty five. Yeah. So I'm saying you 45. are a lot more optimistic than I am about. I guess all of them. All yeah. of them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yes, I am. That's yeah. That that figures. I guess it was probably Pablo Reyes. I was most optimistic. Perhaps too optimistic is really what we're looking yeah. at. So look. Well, the Reyes listen. one is just complete. Yes, I'm <laughs> because again, we, so we've documented this for posterity. Yes. Or for, for something resembling posterity. I don't think it's actually going to last that long. Do you? Well, maybe. Not yeah. with that attitude, it isn't. Mm-hmm. Um. Okay. Well, that's good. Hey, listen, Alex Stump, uh, I've enjoyed your work so far at Fangraphs.com. You still got another week or two. Thank you. A week, a week, roughly a week, I guess. Yeah. yeah. A week, yeah, we're May 23rd now. Um, uh, but it's been a pleasure to get to know you, and I, I wish you the best of luck. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, why don't you stick around for a moment, but for the purposes of uh, our conversation for the public... Um, I'm going to say that that has been Alex Stump, the, the uh, not only contributor to uh, the Point of Pittsburgh and the Pittsburgh Sports Report, uh, but also the May resident for Fangraphs.com. I'm Carson Sestouli, and this has been Fangraphs Audio.